Okay, so every blessing to you all, and welcome back to another open air video. This is the month of May, and uh, for Catholics, May is the month of Mary. The Catholic Church will earmark May and October out of the year to further worship Mary. And therefore, if you were to go into a typical Catholic church in your town or your city, you will find more flowers than usual laid at the Lady Altar. On top of that, you may see Hindus, believe it or not, also worshipping Mary at the Lady Altar. Muslims also think very highly of Mary. And normally when Muslims speak about Jesus Christ, they refer to him as the Son of Mary, which incidentally is only found once in the Word of God, and that of course is Mark chapter 6. But if you were a Catholic, or if you are a Catholic, you might be permitted to criticize or critique the Pope. You may be permitted to criticize or critique Catholicism as a system, but you won't be permitted to criticize or critique Mary, the so-called Queen of Heaven, using a Bible, which is what I'm going to do today, Lord willing, because I want Catholics to be born again. I want Catholics to be saved. I want Catholics to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I was raised in the Catholic Church, so I think I'm qualified to make this message. Let's start today, if we may, in Psalm 69. And uh, we've got a lot of verses to look at, so please bear with me. It's a little windswept at the moment, so I will do my best to cover as much ground as I can, Lord willing. Uh, Psalm 69, written by King David, 1,000 years before Christ. Very important that you understand that. Psalm 69, look at verse 7, please. Because for thy sake I borne reproach, shame hath covered my face. David is a type of Christ. He would tell you in Psalm 22 how they pierced my hands and my feet concerning, of course, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know that David wasn't crucified, but Jesus Christ was. So when David speaks, more often or not, he's speaking about Jesus Christ. But here, in verse 7, because for thy sake, concerning God the Father, I have borne reproach concerning God the Son. Shame hath covered my face. The Jews treated Christ with contempt for the most part, as they did to God the Father back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, as they did to the Holy Ghost, Acts chapter 7. Look at 8, please. I am become a stranger unto my brethren, and an alien unto my mother's children. King David was the youngest of Jesse's sons, and therefore you know, if you've ever read the Old Testament, that David wasn't a stranger unto his brethren, and he wasn't an alien unto his mother's children, but Jesus Christ was. Please turn to John chapter 7. Scripture with Scripture, as they say, to get to the heart of the matter, like I say, if you are a Catholic, you are not really permitted, are you, to examine what your church teaches you. On top of that, you've been brainwashed pretty much from day one, like the Mormons, like the Jehovah's Witnesses. John chapter 7, look at verse 3, please. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, and that thy disciples also may see the work that thou doest. Jesus Christ lived 
in a divided house. And therefore, if you are trying to win your brothers and sisters to the Lord and are failing, continue to do so and take comfort in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ also struggled to win his own siblings to him. Four, for there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. They are almost goading him, almost antagonizing him. And you know that he worked on his own timetable, and yet this must have been very painful to him. Look at five. For neither did his brethren believe in him. So if you've got unsaved family, could be your children, could be your wife, your husband, your mother, your father, he knows perfectly well how that feels. That's why he is referred to as a son of Joseph, the suffering saviour. Look at John chapter 1 to further affirm my belief that Psalm 69 is referring to Jesus Christ. He came unto his own, the children of Israel, and his own received him not, which again would refer to his own brethren, and yet one of his brothers, Jude, believed on him. And I come to Jude a little later. Look at 12, please. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Which means this, that you weren't born a Christian. You need to be born again. And you're only born again when you come to the end of yourself and you turn to Jesus Christ in faith. And that's why when you meet people who say, I've always been a Christian, you know that that is not the case. You must be born again. So these verses, Psalm 69, John 7, John 1, make it very clear to me that Jesus had brothers and sisters, that Mary was not a perpetual virgin, and therefore it's important to those of us which are Bible believers to adhere to the Word of God, to shun tradition and examine the Word of God to see what God has to say, because God won't share his glory with anybody else. And I'll say this very briefly, that if you were to take Jesus Christ out of the ecumenical mix, you'd have so-called unity. But God isn't interested in unity, he's interested in truth. Because Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. How they hate that. Peter, the so-called first Pope of Rome, would tell you that there's no name under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. No other name, no other person. Jesus Christ, of course. Paul would tell you how there's only one mediator between men and God, the man. Christ Jesus. They hate that. Catholics hate that. Protestants hate that. Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, Freemasons hate that. And yet the truth is that God won't share his glory with anybody else. And if you have the Son, you have life. And if you haven't got the Son, the wrath of God abideth upon you. Look at Matthew, please. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When and his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together, she was found a child of the Holy Ghost. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was the mother of the Son of Man, not the Son of God. And it says, when, as his mother Mary was espoused 
to Joseph, engaged to Joseph, before they came together, before they consummated the marriage, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Supernatural, of course. And that term, of the Holy Ghost, means that he was the only begotten Son of God. Scripture says that he came from God. He was of God, compared to that wicked one concerning Cain. So you're either of God, born again, or you are either of the devil. There's no middle ground. You're either for the Lord or against him. 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately, meaning that she was pregnant, meaning that the Old Testament called for those that had sex out of marriage to be put to death. At this time, Joseph wasn't briefed as to what was occurring. 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. But while he thought on these things, while he was considering his options, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. Very important that you note that. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament was Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit. And it's fascinating to me that Almighty God sends the third member of the Trinity to speak to Joseph in a dream and explain to him what is occurring. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Are you one of his people? Have you had your sins forgiven? Do you know that you need to be forgiven? If you tell a lie, you are a liar. If you hate somebody, you are a murderer. And if you lust after somebody who's not your husband or your wife, you are an adulterer. So if you are guilty of those sins, you need a saviour. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, Jehovah saves, God saves, saviour, for he, Jesus, shall save his people from their sins. Mary can't help you, the Mass can't help you, the Pope can't help you. 22. Now this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. Some years ago I watched a debate online and an ex-pastor turned atheist was mocking this piece of scripture and he said, uh, there's a contradiction. Jesus Christ is called Emmanuel and yet he was never called Emmanuel after this. Keep your hand in Matthew chapter 1 and go to Second Samuel. And it kind of threw the person who was doing the debate with this ex-pastor, turn atheist. Sometimes, if you don't have the understanding of the Word of God, if you don't know the Word of God, you can't respond to such a ridiculous claim. Second Samuel 12, look at 24, please. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her and lay with her. And she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. Solomon is a type of God the Son, David is a type of God the Father. Look at 25. And he sent by the hand of Nathan a prophet 
And he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Nathan called Solomon Jedidiah because of the Lord, meaning beloved of the Lord. Solomon had two names. His parents called him Solomon. Mary and Joseph were told to call Jesus Jesus. And yet God would refer to him as Emmanuel. And here Nathan, as a prophet of the Lord, would call Solomon Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord. So there's no contradiction for Matthew chapter 1. Go back to Matthew, please. Look at 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. He didn't know her, which means he didn't have intercourse with her, until she brought forth her firstborn son. And that term, firstborn son, has been removed from most Bibles, and yet it's critical that you understand that. And he called his name Jesus, meaning, being Jehovah saves, meaning Saviour. And I'll come back to that term, firstborn, shortly. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and have come to worship him. This entire world was made for the glory of God. But on top of that, it's made for the glory of God the Son. Those of us which are saved are saved as a gift to the Son of God. You get that back in Isaiah Six, uh, Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 49 from memory or thereabouts and we are a gift to the Son of God and all of this is for his glory so when people say atheists are going to be in heaven they're kidding themselves when people say Muslims are going to be in heaven they are kidding themselves when people say Masons are going to be in heaven they are kidding themselves just imagine for one moment that a Mason arrives in heaven the first thing a Mason is going to say is where is Yabulon? And they'll say, there is no Yabun on here. Oh. A Muslim arrives in heaven. Where is Muhammad? He's not here. Oh. A Catholic arrives in heaven. Where is Mary? She's over there. But never mind her, the sun is over there. Oh. Do you see how foolish it is when you start to teach that everybody and anyone can go to heaven? No, you can't. Not unless you're born again. But here, the wise men have come from the east. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and I come to worship him. If you are saved, the most important thing for you to do is to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Soul winning is all very well. Reading the word of God is all very well, but how about worshipping him? How about thanking him for the blessings that he's given you? Look at verse 8, please. And he sent them to Bethlehem concerning Herod, of course, and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. That term, bring me word again, what's the word in the street? A term we use every day of the week, that I may come and worship him also. It's a false worship. And I put it to you this morning, that Catholics worship the Lord in falsehood. They worship the Lord in vain. They give him a lip service. We know that the JWs are guilty of that. We know that the Mormons are guilty of that. We know that most of the cults, if not all of the cults, are guilty of that. 
but Catholics of themselves as Christians. The world looked to the Catholic Church for answers. When there's a crisis, they look to the Vatican for answers. And that institution has no answers whatsoever. And I said over the years that presidents, prime ministers, kings and queens, whenever they are in Europe, whenever they are in Rome, always go to the Vatican to speak to the Pope. And yet you know they're not having a Bible study. You know that the Pope isn't explaining the plan of salvation. They're talking about money. They're talking about properties. They're talking about politics. Never the saviour of the world. Look at 11, please. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Do you worship him? I mean, do you truly worship him? If you don't, you should. And some of you are struggling with getting your prayers answered. Some of you are struggling with overcoming temptation. You need to worship the Lord. Take time to worship him, like the Magi's did. And when they opened their treasures, what have you given up for him? What have you sacrificed for him? Some of you people are completely hooked on sport, politics, entertainment. You've got to quit it. If you're saved, you've got to quit those things because you'll never have a full relationship with the Lord. You'll be robbing him. But here the Magi's have opened their treasures and they presented them unto him gifts. Not Mary, but they presented unto him Jesus gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Christ was a priest, prophet, and king. Three parts to his office, and here the Magi's have given him three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I believe that Mary and Joseph, when they went up to the temple to dedicate the Lord, to the Lord, would have given the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh to Almighty God. But they went into a house, not a stable, he's around two years, by verse 11, they see the young child with Mary's mother, Jesus is mentioned before Mary, and fell down and worshipped him, not Mary, not Joseph. So don't call them the Holy Family. They weren't the Holy Family. Only Jesus Christ is holy. In fact, outside of the Bible, outside of Almighty God, outside of the born-again Christian, no one or nothing is holy. Only the born-again Christian, the Bible, and Almighty God is holy. And then if you've got the Magi's, Gentiles, putting the Jews to shame, worship him. Go to chapter 12, please. Matthew chapter 12. Look at 46, please. Why do you yet talk to the people? Behold, his mother and his brethren stood out, designed to speak with him. While Jesus talked to the people, gave my Bible study, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, outside, desiring to speak with him. Who are his brethren? Keep your hand in Matthew 12 and go to Mark chapter 6. Very windy as I am standing here, somewhat unexpected. When I checked the forecast this morning, it wasn't as windy. And sometimes I think the devil is wanting me to abandon this message, but I will persevere on. Mark 6, look at verse 3, please. Is not this a carpenter? 
the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseus and Judah and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. You've got at least six siblings cited here. James would be the writer of the epistle of James. James would be the leader, or one of the leaders, from Acts 15. Joseus, or Joseus, an abbreviation of Joseph. Joseph Jr., no doubt. And Judah, Jude. The epistle of Jude was written by the Lord's half-brother. And Simon. We're not told much about Simon. You've got four brothers here. James, Joseus, Judah, and Simon. And are not his sisters, plural, with us? At least two sisters. You've got six siblings. This gospel was written by Mark, and Mark was a friend, an associate, and a colleague of Peter. And most scholars believe that Mark's gospel is Peter's accounts, Peter's recollection of the Lord's ministry. And therefore, Peter is telling you through the pen of Mark, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, that the Lord Jesus Christ had at least six siblings. And it says how they were offended in him, offended at him. Of course they were. A prophet is never known in his own community. That's why your family haven't listened to you and aren't listening to you because they remember you before you were saved. So James, at this time, wasn't yet saved, wasn't yet a believer, but Judah, Jude, Judas was. And sometimes we forget that there are two Judases in the New Testament. One was a traitor, the other was a disciple. We're not told much about his sisters, but I'll come back and speak a bit more about that later. I'll go back to Matthew chapter 12, please. Look at 47. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, designed to speak with thee. Jesus, your family are outside. Take five. They come to see you, they've got some questions for you. Look at 48. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? A slight put down. 49. And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. He's saying, My mother and my brethren are over there. Never mind the crowd outside. Mark 6, John 7. They don't yet believe on him which must have been a great uh, painful situation for Mary to have to deal with. Fifty. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. The will of God is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, which his own brethren, apart from Judas, didn't do, weren't able to do until after the cross until after the resurrection. And that's why I say, if you are living in a divided house, if your siblings aren't saved, if your parents aren't saved, if your husband or wife isn't saved, hang in there. Keep praying for them. And take great comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ knew perfectly well what that must have felt like to you, what it feels like to you. He went through it as well. Jump over to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Look at verse 20, please. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshipping him. 
and desiring a certain thing of him. They worshipped him. And he accepted it. People say Jesus was a good man. Yes, he was. And yet, if he was a good man, and just a good man, what do you make of this? People worshipping him. I can't stress this enough that God won't share his glory with anybody else. He won't share his glory with you. He won't share his glory with your church. He wants all the glory for himself. But here it says how the mother of Zebedee's children came to him, worshipping him, desiring a certain thing of him. Do you know who this woman is? Zebedee's wife, from my understanding of the word of God, was Mary's sister, which means that she was the aunt of Jesus. Which means John and James, the sons of Zebedee, were the Lord's cousins. More that thought in a minute. But what's fascinating to me is here, the Lord's aunt has come to him with her sons, worshipping him. Wonderful, because he's God, of course. 21. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? What do you want? How can I help you? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand, and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. Now, if Mary was the queen of heaven, if Mary has this great uh, leverage with the Lord, if Mary is able to do such great things for you, because Catholics pray to Mary, they go to places like Lourdes, Medjugorje, and Fatima, and I'll talk about that later. Wouldn't you have thought that his aunt would have gone to Mary and said, hey sis, can you ask Jesus to grant me a very important prayer request? She doesn't go to Mary at all. In fact, nobody in Scripture ever asked Mary anything. Twenty-two. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? And he baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. Now later on you will find that this request to sit at his left hand and his right hand was given to all of the apostles. But the point is that here his aunt has approached him with a very important request and she goes straight to him, which is what you can do as well. One mediator between men and God, the man, Christ Jesus. You don't need to go through a third party. And I've used this analogy in the past that if I had the phone number of the Queen of England and she said to me, whenever you want to contact me, just phone me up, I'm always available. I would go straight to her via her own line. I would phone her directly. I wouldn't waste my time going through her secretaries. So if you are a Catholic, stop praying to Mary. Start praying to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are Jehovah's Witness, stop going through the Watchtower or the system of uh, the JWs. Go straight to the Son of God. Pray to him. Worship him. And the same is true of those that are in the Mormon religion. Go straight to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the mediator. He's the bridge. He's the door. And here, the Lord has said uh, in 23, You shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And that goes to the apostles later on. Go to Luke chapter 1. It's heartbreaking when you come across Catholics praying to Mary, and they do. It's heartbreaking when Catholics have to approach God through a priest system, and they do. 
you are telling the word of God that Jesus Christ is our high priest. You don't need to go to a third party. I can't stress this enough. And if you're not careful, dear Catholic friend, when you die, you'll be not only sent to hell forever, because you were guilty of idolatry. You worshipped Mary. You prayed the rosary, and I can still remember the rosary. Hail Mary, Mother God, pray for sinners now. Uh, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among sinners. Forgive us our sins now, the hour of our death. I can still remember that junk. It couldn't save me. In fact, all the years of being a Catholic, I was never holy. I would go through the system like most of you did, and still are, and yet did nothing for me. I'll get to Luke 1 in a moment. It's very windy. Not surprising, of course. And listen, I'm not against Catholic people, per se. Okay, I have no problem with Catholic people. I'm against a system. I'm against Catholicism. I'm not against Muslims, but I'm against Islam. I'm not against the Jews, but I'm against Judaism. All these groups, all these systems are against the Word of God. I'm not against uh, Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses as people, but I'm against the systems which they are a part of. So don't get upset if you think I'm attacking you personally. I'm not. I am for you. I'm not against you. Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 26, please. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Joseph is visited by the angel of the Lord, the Holy Ghost. Mary is visited by Gabriel, an angel. Isn't that fascinating? You would have thought that if Mary is the Queen of Heaven, if she's the Mother of the Church, if she is the Queen of Heaven, you would have thought that the Holy Ghost would have gone to her and Gabriel would have gone to Joseph. But that's not what happened. Joseph gets a vision from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, whereas Mary gets a vision, gets uh, an appearance of Gabriel. She's a virgin, she's a young woman, and I personally date Mary, or I age Mary, I should say, between 14 to 18. And I spent yesterday trying to work out some of the ages of the brethren of the Lord, and I think this is what happened. I think Mary was 16 when Gabriel appeared to her. She's 16 when she conceives the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think for the first 12 years of the Lord's life, he is an only child. You've got Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. A picture of the Trinity, if you will, intimacy. And I think for the first 12 years of the Lord's life, it's just him. Only child, as I say. Which means that Mary is around 28 when Jesus is 12. More on that in a moment. 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favoured. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. The angel Gabriel came in unto her, Mary of course, you can't miss it, and said, Hail, thou that art highly favoured. Yes, you are, Mary. You are highly favoured. You've been chosen to bear the Son of God. There was something different about Mary. Of all her friends that she grew up with, I guess most of them wanted to be the mother of the Messiah. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And yet back in Jude, excuse me, back in Judges, 
I think it's Judges 5.24, there's an account of a woman who was blessed above women. And here, Mary is blessed among women. She's blessed. She's fortunate. She's a recipient of something amazing, but never the dispenser of something amazing. 29, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She's a young woman. She's 16. And that's why the Lord is very gracious to her. When Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, he doesn't display much faith. And because he was an older man, around 60, 70-ish, and also a priest, he is struck with muteness. He can't speak. But Mary, around 16, a young woman, is perplexed, quite normal, and the Lord doesn't condemn her for that. 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. Yes, very much the case. And if you are born again, you too have found favour with God, because you are now in heaven in a spiritual sense. But here, nobody is yet born again. In fact, you are still very much looking at Old Testament uh, subjects receiving something which will go into the New Testament. 38. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, bid unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. The handmaid of the Lord, the servants of the Lord, or as the New Bible say, the slave of the Lord. Great picture of humility. It must have been very daunting for Mary. She's around 16. She is engaged to Joseph, quite possibly her first love. And this angel comes in too and he says, Mary, you are going to be the child of the highest. You will give birth to the Son of God. And he will save his people from their sins. And no doubt Isaiah chapter 7 came to mind. I gave it to you from Matthew 1. A virgin shall be with child. And she must have thought to herself, wow, this is incredible. Just an ordinary girl, probably a upper working class girl or lower middle class girl but she's poor she's not wealthy and the Lord does take people from the lower classes and gives them a great blessing but by our own words behold the handmaid of the Lord no suggestion here no inference here that she was sinless 41 and it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed are the fruits of thy womb. You've got two blessings coming from Elizabeth. And it says how the babe leaped in her womb. A great scripture to prove that when a woman conceives a child, it is a child, not a fetus, not a product of of conception and I know some of you women have had abortions and some of you women are born again now and you are forgiven and yet you still suffer with the scars of aborting your children well good news your children are in heaven awaiting you so if you are born again if you committed abortion if you had an abortion before you were saved that child is in heaven waiting for you right now 43 and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Another great scripture to affirm the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The mother of my Lord, her Lord was Jehovah. 
But listen to this. Mary gave birth to the Son of Man, the human side of deity, or God becoming flesh in Jesus Christ. She didn't give birth to God the Son. God the Son is his divine nature. She gave birth to the Son of Man. Some people say that Mary was the mother of God. No, she was the mother of Jesus. God has no mother. God has no father. God is eternal. People get that so confused. So Mary gave birth to the Son of Man, Christ's human side, not his divine side. But here you can't miss it. She understands that Jesus Christ is deity. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Incredible. 44. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. You can't miss it, can you? It's a baby, not a fetus. Some years ago, there were two women in America. One was a Christian, the other was a hardline atheist, Darwinist. And the latter thought that when a woman fell pregnant, it was just a fetus, and therefore it was no big deal to have an abortion. And one day her sister fell pregnant, and uh, she was very excited, it was her first baby, and there were some complications during this woman's pregnancy, and uh, she was rushed to hospital, and she phoned up her sister, the atheist, the Darwinist, and said, I'm in hospital, uh, it's pretty serious. So the sister rushed to the hospital, and... Uh, as she was entering into the hospital, the doctor came out and said, I've got very bad news for you. Your sister just lost a baby. And the woman thought to herself, how am I going to say to my sister, I'm so sorry that you lost the fetus? How am I going to say to my sister, I'm so sorry that you lost the product of conception? And within a split second, she realized that her sister had lost a baby, a living person made in the image of God with a living soul. And she went into her sister and she embraced her and she said, I'm so sorry that you've lost your baby. And that changed that woman literally overnight. And here you've got Elizabeth, an older woman, up in years, rejoicing, excited that Mary has come to visit her and how John, the Baptist, in her womb, is leaping around. You can't get around it, my friends. If you abort a child, it's murder. In fact, there was a, there was a court case recently of a lady who aborted her baby, she was eight months pregnant, and I think she was found guilty of murder. Some years ago, a bomb went off in Northern Ireland, and I think 30 people were murdered, and one of the victims of that bomb was a pregnant woman. And they counted her unborn babies amongst the dead. So you see, if you're pregnant, it's a baby, not a fetus, and if you abort your baby, you are guilty of your baby's murder. 46, please. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. God my Saviour? Only sinners need a Saviour. Mary was a sinner, and here her own son is going to save her. And Catholics said, well, Hold on a minute. If Mary was a sinner, wouldn't that make Jesus a sinner? No. When Jesus Christ was born, the Lord was able to keep him safe, separate from Mary's fallen nature. We know that the Father's blood enters into the placenta, and therefore during a typical pregnancy, the mother's blood never intermingles with the father's blood. The baby is completely safe in the womb, 
and in the case of Jesus, his Father's blood, being God of course, was divine. It wasn't possible for the blood of Mary to be intermingling with the blood of Christ. If it was, then he would be a sinner, just like you and I. So therefore you don't need Mary to be immaculately, immaculately consumed. There's no immaculate conception. She was a sinner, as was her mother. The Word of God says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that would include Mary as well. So 47, one more time. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. Jesus saves. Incredible, isn't it? She's given birth to her own Saviour. 48. For he hath regarded the lower state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. Yes, all generations will call Mary happy. But one more time, she was a recipient of grace. She received grace. She wasn't a dispenser of grace. She doesn't give grace out to people. Okay, she can't hear your prayers. If you pray to her, you may as well be praying to a brick wall. On top of that is a great offence to the Lord. That's why Catholics are guilty of idolatry. When we get time, I'll discuss that more. Look at chapter 2, verse 7, please. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. This is the second time that the Holy Ghost wants you to see that she brought forth her firstborn son, which means she had more children. If you have an only child, you don't refer to your only child as your firstborn. Of course you don't. The term firstborn always denotes, always denotes, that you've got more children. And yet, did you realize that twice in the synoptics, the Holy Ghost has drawn your attention to the fact that Jesus was her firstborn, and yet, in Matthew 16, when Jesus said to Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven, that term is only found once in the New Testament. Did you know that? Only found once in the entire New Testament. Matthew 16. And yet twice you've been told how Mary brought forth her firstborn son. It seems to me that it's more important for us to know that Mary had other children than Peter got the keys to the kingdom of heaven, which he used, incidentally, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. On top of that, you were told from Matthew 18 that those keys were given to all the apostles, and those keys were given to all the apostles from John chapter 20. But you see, if you don't read the Bible, you wouldn't know these things. You see, most Catholics need to have something to see they can't just take the Word of God by faith. They want a priest on the altar. They want statues. They want to see uh, a performance. I mean, the Mass is like theatre. I think most Christians are the same. Most Christians want to be entertained. Most Christians want to watch videos on YouTube. Most Christians want to watch exposés. And when it comes to putting a 90-minute video online, maybe teaching through Philippians or Galatians or Romans, most Christians are not interested. Most Christians are visual. Most Christians are um, lustful, if you will, like Catholics. We've got to see. We can't just take it by faith. We've got to have a, a Mass. We've got to have a service. We've got to have a priest. We've got to have Mary. Like the Jews back in First Samuel 8, we want a king to reign over us. 
nothing new under the sun. And this is the tragedy that most Christians, saved people, are more interested in watching a video. They are more interested in being entertained than they are having a Bible study. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. He's newborn, of course, because there was no room for them in the inn. Look at 9. And though the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. Here, once again, the angel of the Lord, being the Holy Ghost for the New Testament, has reappeared, and this time to the shepherds. Interestingly, go to verse 19, please. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She's 16 years old. It's understandable. She's trying to understand what is going on. She's a very gracious woman. And she will grow in grace. She will, she will grow at her own rate, as you and I grow at our own rate. 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Joseph was his stepfather, never his biological father. 42. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So I think this. I think that Mary is around 28 now. The Lord is 12 years of age. And I think that his siblings haven't yet been born. As I said a few moments ago, I think that for the first 12 years of his life, it's just Jesus and his mother and Joseph. Intimacy. Give my son all that he wants. I don't want him to be... Uh, having to share anything with his siblings. They will come later. But I might be wrong on that. And I may come back to that thought in a moment. 43. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tagged behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. The child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, the eternal city, and Joseph and his mother. It doesn't say Joseph being his father. It just says, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. She's not omniscient. And yet Catholics are praying to Mary all over the world. Mother Mary, help me with this. Mother Mary, help me with that. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us in us now and in the hour of our death. Blessed art thou among women, the fruit of the womb, so on and so forth. They've got no idea that Jesus has been left behind in Jerusalem. 44, but they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. To be fair to them, you've got a huge caravan going up from Nazareth, in fact, going from all over the world, to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. So to be fair to the parents of the Lord, to be fair to Mary and Joseph, they thought that perhaps he was with the relatives, like Zebedee's uh, children, James and John, his cousins. So I don't think it's correct to criticize the parents for not knowing where he was. But they go back seeking him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. But I think this, that I guess it's possible it's possible that his siblings 
were too young to go to Jerusalem at this time, and therefore they have stayed behind Nazareth with maybe Mary's mother, or maybe Joseph's mother. That's possible. But I still think that with the kinsfolk, with the acquaintance going up to Jerusalem, that if Mary's parents were still alive, they would have gone with them. If Joseph's parents were still alive, they would have gone with them as well. So don't rule out the possibility that the Lord's brethren, brothers and sisters, have remained back with Mary's mother and Joseph's mother, but I think my gut feeling is, for what it's worth, that Jesus hasn't yet uh, witnessed the birth of his brethren, his brothers and sisters. 45. When they found him not, they returned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. She is not omniscient, she is not omnipresent, she is not omnipotent. She had no idea where he was. She was human. She's just like you and I. A sinner in need of salvation. And here, she's been able to find her son. Look at 47. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. That's Mary's first mistake. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? Don't you know that I'd be in Jerusalem, in the temple, about my father's business? A rebuke to Mary, if ever I saw one. 50. And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. There were times in the Word of God where Mary struggled to comprehend the enormity of the God-man. I don't blame her. Even Christians struggled to understand how Jesus was God and man. God manifest in the flesh. It's very difficult, and yet you've got to believe that in order to be saved. 51, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. She's pondering everything that she's seen and heard, and on top of that, no doubt, progressive revelation as well. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and a favor with God and man, in any form of our blessed mediator. Go to chapter 11, please. Look at 27. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. To be fair to this woman, she probably thought that Mary had raised him well, and she no doubt had done, and she wanted to give Mary credit, respect, honor. No, no, nothing wrong with that. You were told that back in uh, Romans 13. It's good to give respect where it's due. Look at 28. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. He does rebuke this woman because he knew through foreknowledge that one day 
people all over the world will be worshipping Mary, like the Catholics, for example. And he thought to himself, I don't want people worshipping my mother. As great as she was, as special as she was, as beloved as she was, you're not to worship her. And that's why I think back in 1981, when John Paul II was almost shot dead, they rushed him to the hospital, operated on him, and they saved him. And the first person that he gave credit to was Mary. And I think that type of a response is an abomination to Almighty God. Also of interest to me that when he was shot and almost killed, nobody prayed over him. No faith healers flew over to Rome to pray over the so-called Holy Father, which incidentally is not a blasphemy. That term is for God the Father, not the Pope. None of his own crowd prayed over him. He needed uh, general medicine. He needed uh, hospitals, doctors. He needed everyday medical experts to help him. No healers, no nothing. Just doctors, nurses on an operating table. And he sinned when he gave Mary the credit for saving him. <clears throat> but let me say this to you, please, that if you read the Word of God, if you are a Bible believer, you might be surprised to know that there is more dialogue in the Word of God from people such as Herod and Pilate than Mary. I think when I last counted, Mary's mentioned 41, 42 times directly and indirectly in the Word of God, and only twice does she speak. Luke chapter 1, I gave it to you a few, minutes, a few moments ago, and John chapter 2, we'll get there shortly. And yet Herod and Pilate are more vocal in Scripture than Mary. Isn't that interesting? So one last time from 28. Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. It's more important for you to hear the word of God and keep it than praise Mary, worship Mary, and give her adoration. The Lord has no time for such uh, activity, for such vain worship. Now please turn to John chapter 1. Uh, make it John chapter 2, please. John chapter 2, look at verse 1, please. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. No doubt a family affair. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. This is the second time that Mary speaks in Scripture. And to the best of my knowledge, the last time that Mary speaks in Scripture. For Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. Woman, not mother. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Another slight rebuke. Mine hour is not yet come. Don't rush me, mother. Like the brethren of the Lord in John 7, Go up and do what you're going to do. Don't do it in secret. They were trying to rush him. And here Mary is trying to get him to do something before he is good and ready. And yet a miracle is about to occur. Look at verse 5. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he said unto you, do it. Those words are monumental. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Repent, or likewise you will perish. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Ye must be born again. 
And here Mary, of course, is speaking about preparing wine for this marriage supper, but reading back into the Gospel of John with the Pauline epistles and the Old Testament, we can quite easily take her words and apply them in a spiritual sense. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Obey him. And of course, you know, the rest he turns water into wine. Turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Look at 25, please. Then they stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. You've got four women at the cross of Jesus. His mother, his mother's sister, being Zebedee's wife, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. As you can see, Mary was a very common name in uh, biblical times. 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. The disciple whom he loved, being his cousin, like David and Jonathan, blood brothers. Don't read into the text what's not there. Woman, behold thy son. Woman, John will be your spiritual son. Why? Because Joseph has died and because she's got six children. 27, then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. John would live to a good old age. And I think John was around 30-ish when the Lord called him. But by my reckoning, Mary was 28 when Jesus was 12, she was 46 when he was 33, and therefore her oldest child could be Jude, could be Simon, could be James, we're not told, was around 18. Her youngest child, therefore, is around 14, or maybe 12. Now, I can't be dogmatic on those ages, because we're not told, but my understanding of women in the days of the Lord uh, couples getting married during biblical times is that most women got married when they were young. So my view is this, that Mary was around 16 when the angel Gabriel came to her. For the first 12 years, it's just Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Once the Lord turns 12, once he has his bar mitzvah, once he comes of age, she has six more children. That term from Matthew chapter 1, how Joseph knew her not until she brought forth her firstborn son, is clear to me that she had more children. Now the Catholics say, well, those children that I gave you from Mark 6 were from Joseph's family. In other words, he was a widower. It's possible, but I don't think that tallies with Scripture, because it says, one more time, she brought forth her firstborn son, which you know denotes she had more children. So she wasn't a perpetual virgin, she was not um, uh, miraculously conceived without sin, the so-called immaculate conception. 
She was born in sin just like you and I are. So here John, as the Lord's cousin, will take Mary and six of her children into his own home. John would make old bones. He would be around 90-ish when he wrote Revelation or thereabouts, and therefore he was more than able to look after Mary. If Mary is around 50, let's say she's 50, by the Lord's death on her cross, she may have 15, 20 years before she dies. Her children will grow up. James will get saved, along with Jude. And she will, according to tradition, go to Ephesus, where she died. We're not sure if that's, if that's the case. It doesn't really matter. But the point I'm trying to make is that here, Joseph's dead. Her children are too young to look after her, so John will look after her until she dies. And her children marry and move away, or can look after themselves. Acts chapter 1, a book which I'm currently teaching through and very much enjoying. Acts chapter 1, look at 13 please. And when they were coming, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zealots, and Judas, the brother of James. There you are, the Lord's half-brother, Judas, Jude, Judah, who wrote the epistle of Jude. Look at verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Mary is found in 13th place. Now, if she's the queen of heaven, why is she found in 13th place? On top of that, after this piece of scripture, she's never found again, directly or indirectly. Is that interesting? And here, the brethren are with her, of course. They're too young to be left alone. But on top of that, it is possible that they are now believers. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us how the Lord appeared to James, who believed. He saw his brother, Jesus, half-brother, raised from the dead, and he turned to faith in the Messiah. He got saved. So the Lord starts off calling one of his half-brothers to follow him, to be a disciple. Jude, Judas, but for most of the Lord's ministry, his brethren did not believe on him, which must have been a great source of pain for his mother, as I say. But post the cross, it would appear that his brothers and sisters have now believed on him. But they're too young to be left on their own. Mary would need help, she would need, she'd need support, and therefore John will step in and take Mary to be his spiritual mother. So I think all these verses show quite clearly that Mary had six children, and if you add Jesus, that makes seven, God's perfect number. Jesus starts off with a great blessing. He's just got his mother and his stepfather to look after him. He's an only child, there's no distractions, and those first 12 years must have been glorious. But as he grows, she has six more children. Maybe one a year, maybe one every other year, we're not told. The family expands. Joseph gets older. Uh, Jesus would be working with Joseph as a carpenter. Joseph dies. Jesus takes over the business of Joseph. He's now looking after Mary and the six 
uh, siblings that she has. So a family of eight, if you add Mary. But say Joseph dies, the Lord goes into full-time ministry, and therefore Jesus Christ will make provisions for Mary and her siblings, or his siblings, once he dies. He chooses John, his cousin, greatly beloved, like uh, Jonathan was greatly beloved by King David. And, as I say, John would look after Mary until she died, and he would look after the brothers and sisters of the Lord until they either married or were able to support themselves. James would be a great leader in the early church, and Jude, as I say, would write the epistle of Jude. But I will close with a warning. I will close with a very serious warning that if you are a Catholic, if you are praying to Mary, if you worship Mary, if you call her the Queen of Heaven, if you are marking this month out as something special to her, if you are praying to statues or idols or images, if you are receiving some kind of a response from such images, then you are praying to an entity, a very powerful entity, which is deceiving you. Go to Second Corinthians chapter 11. Look at 13, please. Interesting, verse 13, Friday the 13th. 13 being a satanic number. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. When you pray to Mary, you are praying to Satan. When you receive a revelation from Mary, like Medjugorje, Louis or Fatima, you are receiving a revelation from Satan. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. And that's why according to Revelation 21, that those that are guilty of idolatry go into a lake of fire and burn. Now listen, if you are a Catholic, I know many of you are sincere. I know many of you have a love for the Lord. But you are deceived, my friends. You are trusting in a system which cannot save you. You are praying to a woman that cannot hear you. On top of that, you are going through a priest in order to have your sins forgiven. You don't need to do that. The Word of God says how Christ is able to save him to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing ever liveth to make intercession for us. He is our high priest. He's drawn all men unto himself. He's granted us repentance. He's not willing that any should perish, but how all should come to repentance. He wept over Jerusalem. He's weeping over Catholics, praying to Mary all over the world. He weeps over Mormons, going through their priest system, taking these satanic rituals. He weeps over the Jehovah's Witnesses, demoting him to Michael the Archangel. But if you come to him, if you believe on him, if you come out of Roman Catholicism, he will save you and he will transform your life from within. And you won't be worshipping this woman, this so-called Queen of Heaven, which, one more time, behind her is the devil. So you are worshipping the devil indirectly. But if you come to him, if you come to the foot of the cross and believe on him, he will save you to the uttermost and you'll be born again. 
So please, take the time to watch this video, maybe two or three times. Read along with me. Check what I've said. And if you're still not sure, talk to the Lord about it. But I'll, say, I'll tell you this, he's already told you in his word what he wants you to know. On top of that, you were told in Psalm 138 how he's put his word above his name. But did you know that? He's put his word above his name. But I'll read it to you, Psalm 138, and I will sign out with this scripture. You were told in uh, Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's true. But in Psalm 138, get there surely, a great scripture which gets overlooked. I worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Almighty God puts his written word above everyone and everything. And therefore you are expected to make this the final authority when it comes to everything that you do. Jesus Christ is the word of God. This is the word of God. This is the written word of God. Jesus Christ is the living word of God. And yet they are both alive. They both are the source of everlasting life. Almighty God is a jealous God. He won't share his glory with anybody. I can't stress it enough. So therefore, quit what you are doing. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Receive him. It's a free gift. Come to him. Receive him. Be born again. And come out from that false system known as Roman Catholicism. Just two very important and final thoughts to this message before I sign out. Number one. Pope Pius XII, in 1950, told the world that Jesus Christ had appeared to him and told him that Mary was bodily assumed into heaven. But there are two red flags there. Number one, the Word of God told you that no man has seen God, that we haven't seen Jesus Christ, that we live by faith, not by sight. Secondly, Pius XII, in 1950, was receiving a lot of medication. Serious mind-changing, mind-altering, mind-affecting medication. He wasn't thinking straight. He was receiving legal medication, but medication which completely impaired his natural thinking. On top of that, the Catholic Church will quote a writer called Dionysus from memory, and Dionysus said that Mary was bodily assumed into heaven. And yet his writing, which they cite, has been proven to be a forgery. So my friend, if you are a Catholic, you have been deceived. So Pius XII may have taught the bodily assumption as doctrine, so-called ex-cathedra, but based on his drug intake, based on the forgery, going back to the 2nd or 3rd century, you have to discard what he told you. Because 2 Corinthians 11.13 down to 15 tells me that what he saw, if anything at all, was either from the devil or in his mind. He was deluded. And therefore, you want to follow a forgery, you want to follow uh, somebody who takes drugs as your high priest, as your guide, then be my guest. But the text tells you that you're not careful, the blind follow the blind, and you both fall into the ditch. That's why you've got to go back to the Word of God, 
for everything. Psalm 138, he's put his word above his name. You know, all scriptures give much to God. The man of God is perfectly equipped, thoroughly furnished under all good works. If you have the word of God, you've got everything. And the word of God is written for doctrine. So whatever you believe, check it in light of scripture. But as I say, if you are following the Catholic Church, if you think your Pope is infallible when he speaks ex cathedra, check out Pius XII. Check out the medication that he was taking back in the late 1940s, going to the, the early 1950s. On top of that, the Catholic Church also decreed back in the 19th century how Mary was sinless. The so-called Immaculate Conception. I'm afraid it's a falsehood. It's a heresy. It's a red herring. It's a red flag. And therefore you need to repent of all that stuff, come out of it, be born again, and follow the Lamb with the Sobe Ghost. He would say to Simon Peter, follow thou me. Not follow the Pope, not follow the Church, not follow this ministry or that ministry, follow thou me. Follow him, believe on him, read his word each and every day, and check everything in light of Scripture. And I guarantee you, you will never fail. You will never go astray if you do those things. That's all. And I will sign out. And uh, thank you again for bearing with me. And uh, give him the glory that he deserves, please. The Magi did it. The Apostles did it. And if you want to be saved, if you want to have a great relationship with him, you need to do it as well. That's all. The Lord bless you all. And Maranatha.